Hey, Keith, so I just saw Logan at the theater, which um, a lot of folks might not realize. It's based loosely on the Old Man Logan comic book that Marvel did a while back. And, um, you know, Hugh Jackman's really old in this one, which makes me think, man, are they going to start making, like, all the superheroes really old? Oh, how about the, the new movie Spider-Man Nursing Homecoming? Oh, uh, Assisted Suicide Squad. Uh, or there's always 50-year-old G.I. Joe. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Keith Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe. American hero. For a limited time, Hasbro presents the 50-year-old G.I. Joe action figure. Featuring Joe's Walker, Back Brace, and AARP card. Plus, when you pull the cord on 50-year-old G.I. Joe's back, you'll hear realistic office gossip. Oh, great. Another kid just got promoted. General Langley, more like General Lame Brain. <laughs> Am I right? The new 50-year-old G.I. Joe action figure. From Hasbro. Midlife crisis replacement hairpiece sold separately. Geek Counter Geek, number 84. You know, it's the Heartbreak Cubs episode. It's, you know, we, we all really enjoy it now, but at the end, it, it gets kind of bad. Yep, Steve Garvey. Damn you! <laughs> Keith Conrad here alongside Elliot Serrano. I'm at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter. Elliot is uh, at Elliot Serrano on Twitter. Two T's, uh, a couple R's, a uh, pound sign in there somewhere. And an underscore. And an underscore. <laughs> not, not, not really. It's all, it's all one word. Just you know, in case somebody gets mad at us. Logan, actually, you know, it was not surprisingly the number one movie of the weekend, and uh, I saw it. Uh, I believe you did as well. Oh it's, no, I saw it, and I, it's. It, it, I would say it shouldn't be surprising that it was a number one movie of the weekend. This was kind of a weak field coming out. That's right true. Now. Yeah. You know, it's still, we're still in the middle of winter. People aren't really going to movies right now. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't hold off on Logan until, let's say, spring, right? Um, but, uh, and, and some folks are saying that this, that Logan is officially kicking off the big, the movie season for 2017. Um, and, it, and it seems to be getting earlier and earlier, just like, you know, when they put the Christmas decorations up at Target. It, it just yep. seems to be the, the spring slash summer movie season is just earlier and earlier every year. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and I was surprised for it being a quote unquote X Men movie. That the, how much promotion did you see for this film? Really, not that much. I mean, when you consider that when the last X Men movie came out, they had X Men Twinkies. <laughs> For 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 apocalypse, X Men Apocalypse, you could buy. You know, they had the uh, all the snacks and all those things. They were just pretty much saturating. Well, that was right when Twinkies were making a comeback, wasn't it? Yeah, well, but they would, essentially what they did was they took the Ecto 
Twinkies, the green, or is it the, they had the green, they were the green filled Twinkies, but they were supposed to be like the mutant Twinkies, and then they repackaged them later to be the um, Ghostbusters ectoplasm Twinkies. Well, so. I think that uh, that's probably going to be the case for just about every sci-fi movie they can possibly do that to. They'll just really re-release something, you know, here's the, here's the green goo version of the Twinkie. Yeah. Yeah, so... And, you know, like even Batman versus Superman had their own serials. So you would think that with with that to- sort of um, expectation for these kinds of movies, they would have really, like, hit it. But no. I mean, it's it was a pretty subdued marketing campaign. Posters, a lot of social media stuff. Everything, you know, about it, you, it was generally social media. How yeah. often did you even see a trailer on television? I don't remember seeing any trailers on television. Not that often. I mean, there was a bit of a blitz right at the end, but it was, you know, the the the, tra- the trailers were released and you didn't hear a whole lot really until, I, I'd say, about the last week or two when they started doing press junkets. And, and about that same time, uh, you started seeing the uh, trailers pop up again. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Really not a whole lot. It wasn't like... Uh, you know, say Independence Day Resurrection, which was all over the place for like six months, and then you know it completely fizzled and bombed. So may- maybe that was maybe they learned a lesson there. Uh, you know, uh, you you had Hugh Jackman doing uh, his bit on Instagram all the time, so that was that's uh, true. Well, and the, and the I think they're probably they're probably learning that, you know, much like a lot of uh, you know a lot of branding these days i would say you know it it doesn't pay so much to have like a cookie cutter trailer sort of thing but having hugh jackman go out there and 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 patrick stewart even you know go out there and sort of you know personally tell you you know give you a little little behind the scenes glimpse and then you know make the case themselves as to why you should go see this you know man that's really in in this day and age that's probably going to go a lot further and on top of that, um, you had your second, well, not technically your third, or fourth, fifth, I, I forget how many Blade movies there were, um, your really successful R-rated superhero movie. That's yeah. true, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, they, they uh, I know the uh, uh, Hugh Jackman, and I think pretty much everybody associated with this talked about how um, it was just going to be a... Uh, re- really freeing for them to tell the sort of story that they wanted to because uh, it was rated R and yeah, that's probably something everybody was looking for at the end here since it's the end for Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, you know, let's let's tell a story that's a little bit different that people aren't used to seeing like a, Yeah, more of an adult story and uh, I know after the success of Deadpool they, they come out and they announce, well, the Wolverine, the new Wolverine movie is going to be R-rated. Everyone felt, ah, oh, it's just them just wanting to drop F-bombs here and there. And, well, but, but when you watch the movie, you're like, okay, well, I can see why, you know. <laughs> you know, it does it does add a little color, and the, the violence was, it, it was pretty graphic, the violence. Although not as, it was, um... I wouldn't say as graphic as the Deadpool violence was, although Deadpool's violence was played up for, for humor, for the yucks, yeah. kind of like, like a like a, um, in the Evil Dead movies. You know, it's very gory, very bloody, very graphic. Yeah, yeah and and this one was more sad. Sad, yeah, oh, way sad. <laughs> 
Well, and, and I think that, uh, um, you know, and, you know, yeah, everybody says, you know, talks about movies being gritty and everything like that. But I think that's what they're going for is just something that was that was more realistic. And, uh, you know, no, there were no spandex suits for anybody in this movie, unlike, you know, previous X-Men movies. Um, yeah, so, so I think they they really were going for something that if not uh, intentionally darker, was certainly more realistic. I think it, it was... I mean, uh, if for those who've seen it, I don't want to get in too much in the spoiler territory, but as far as the tone goes, and when you see the film, I mean, I remember in the beginning going, oh, they're being very subtle about it, and then they decided to just say, hey, you haven't gotten what we're doing here, we're going to hit you in the head with it. Um, but um, essentially the movies, it's kind of a Western, when you think about it, a modern-day Western. It is, yeah. I hadn't thought about that when I was watching it, but but yeah, it is kind of uh, kind of the same thing, you know. Complete with, uh, you know, it could it could be like uh, you know a modern day True Grit with the two older guys and the and the and the young girl. Yeah, well, I was thinking. I remember when I was a kid, I saw The Shootist at the oh, theater. Yeah. My dad took me to see that. That was the very first John Wayne movie I'd ever seen in a theater. All the other movies I'd always seen, like, on television, you know, because it was that long ago. But seeing, you know, that sort of bit with a young Ron Howard, and um, I'm like, oh, wow. I, I was thinking that. There were so many things, uh, um, uh, themes from other Westerns that just kept popping into my head as I was watching Logan. I mean, I saw bits of Unforgiven in there, you know. And then, of course, they drop in the Shane reference, so... <laughs> yeah, Pretty and much. and the shootest was John Wayne's last movie, right? Yeah, yeah, his last one. So that, that's that's really a a, a very apt comparison. Mm -hmm. So it, it's an effective film. Um, lots of people are really in, uh, you know talking about it on social media. There's they're calling it probably the best Wolverine movie there's been. I'm. It's going to be hard to argue that because, quite frankly. The some of them haven't been that great yeah, yeah. Like, well the wolverine had the had the makings of a great film but then they ruined it yeah and, and i think that the you know this being the last you know maybe one day um you know i, I was talking about this with a friend the other day that uh, you know one day we'll probably be taking either our kids or our grandkids to the the remake of of the harry potter movies you know, with like a whole new cast and everything. It's sort of the same thing where one day, uh, you know, there may very well be a new Wolverine, but obviously this is the end of, of this run. You know, what what is it, 17, 18 years for, for Hugh Jackman? Yeah, it, that's kind of a, really the end of an era when you think about it. I mean, I remember when the very first X-Men movie came out and even beforehand, um, they were talking about Hugh Jackman being cast as the role of Wolverine, and there was a lot of skepticism about it. And um, you know, they're like, "Oh, we don't know." And people people were concerned that the this new X Men movie was going to be bad and campy or whatever. And you've got this guy who, what did you know him for? Mu movie musicals, you know, Oklahoma yeah. and and Broadway. What? How's this guy going to do Wolverine? And and Boy, if he didn't come out and make the character his own, boom. Yeah, so. I mean, e even if the storytelling in you know some of the X Men movies and uh, and the Wolverine you know standalone movies wasn't great, I think everybody everybody always still really liked the character, and you know this being the send off for him, I think everybody's going to be happy with it. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. probably not everybody. You can't please everybody. So well, I'm sure there will be I mean, some people who don't like it, but overwhelmingly. I mean, I mean for me, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I'm giving anything away when I tell you this is a sad movie. It's going to be, and the ending is going to be pretty damn depressing. It's the, It ends the way it pretty much should end. If if that's the way, you know, if you talk about it is the quote-unquote the last Wolverine story, it pretty much ends the way it's going to end, you know, the way you would expect, um, you know, Wolverine's character arc to end. Uh, so I remember walking out of the theater going, man, that was good, but damn, that was sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a whole lot of people walking out of there smiling, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Although there was applause at the end, so I think people were very... Um, they were the emotion of it, you know. A lot of people appreciated it. Yeah, and uh, you know, one one thing we did uh, learn how old Professor X was. Yeah, I was. Wow, it, oh, and no, that that's another one too. Patrick Stewart gives probably his best performance as uh, Charles Xavier. Uh, I remember going. He he has more screen time. I think as much screen time as he has in Logan. He equals all the screen time he had in all the previous X-Men movies combined. Yeah, it could be. I, I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, because it was a really meaty role, the way they did it. And there is a lot of interaction between Logan and, and Professor X. And it isn't until the very end that you realize this is what's happening between the two characters, you know? And you're sitting there going, why is he doing this? Or why are they doing that? And what's happening here? And then there's this reveal at one point, and you go, oh. And it's, it's just so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, Patrick Stewart's performance in this, I, it, it broke my heart even more than, than you know, what was happening with the Logan character, too. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, obviously we talked about this last week. He said it's, it's his swan song as far as... Uh, x-men movies and you know as far as a a a good conclusion for for at least his version of the character i i don't think they could have done uh, any better no they couldn't have this is really incredible and hey steven merchant playing you know a straight dramatic role not for yucks or anything you you almost forget this is dude who's like does uh, jokes with ricky gervais and all his shows yeah, you know what it reminded me of was uh, um, uh, Kristen Wiig popping up in The Martian because you know she, uh, you know th- that was an unexpected series role and she it, it was very small in The Martian as as compared to this, but uh, it reminded me of that because it it wasn't a, a role that you would have expected for him. Well, they say comedians are very good at drama. Why? Because they're full of pain. I never, never thought of it that way, but, but yeah. So, so radio producers should be really good at acting too. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <clears throat> I've seen radio producers interact with the talent. I know you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as I, as I said, you know, one day, I, I don't think it's, it's a stretch here to say that uh, we will see an X Men reboot one day, and, um, you know, D- Disney. Yeah, they're they're not rebooting Star Wars and Indiana Jones, but obviously they're you know they're they're sort of starting them you know under the Disney umbrella and uh, they're they're looking at rebooting damn near everything. 
including Tron, with uh, they're in talks with Jared Leto to to play the lead role, which. I, you know, we don't know, since it's a reboot, we don't know if it would be the, the same story as the first one, or would it be a continuation of the, uh, you know, the the, the second one, or, or what, but, you know what, can we not reboot Tron, can we just come up with a new story, is is that too much to ask, Elliot? It's, it's funny, because they, didn't they have, okay, there was Tron, and mm-hmm. there was the, second, the Tron sequel, and, and, and literally... Everybody just calls it the second Tron. Like nobody, right. no, nobody really remembers what it was called. It's just right. it's the second Tron, the, the second other Tron one. Right. And then you had the animated series that they came up with afterwards. It was supposed to continue from the film. And then the, there was supposed to be yet a third Tron film, but I guess Disney lost. They're like, eh, no one really cares about it. So I don't understand why they're thinking a reboot is what you need. Unless, unless you're talking about a new take on the whole Tron mythos, because here's uh, we, we we have spoken about this in previous Geek Counter Geeks. Considering what we know about computers now and what we know about cyberspace, if you were digitized and sent into a video game, that's not what you would see. <laughs> the Tron no, world isn't what you would yeah. see, right? So. Maybe they're thinking, let's do Tron, but we're gonna like we're gonna make it more plausible in a way to more to better reflect what we know about computers now. But see, there's a thing. Now you're running the risk of it becoming the Matrix. That's true. Yeah, I, I uh, uh, that that would that would be a, a problem for me. And uh, you know, I I I was talking with uh, with a friend a couple weeks ago about uh, Terminator. Uh, well, this is actually a while ago because there was there was some rumor that you know, despite the fact that the last two have completely bombed, uh, you know maybe they'd be looking at doing another Terminator movie this time with with James Cameron, and you know I've maintained all along that at this point what what the Terminator franchise needs is about twenty years off, and then you revisit it like completely starting from scratch. You know, looking at AI and everything as it stands, you know, 20 years from now, as opposed to, you know, trying to find some ham-handed way of, of, of shoehorning Arnold Schwarzenegger into the, into the story <laughs> and, you know, trying to continue it, while, you know, acknowledging all the other stuff that has happened because at this point Terminator is kind of getting a little like Star Trek and there's just, there's just a little bit too much, you know, backstory and canon that you'd, you'd have to respect just just take a step back and do something completely new. We've had this discussion. I think if there are a lot of folks who just do, you know, they say that. It's like they get the whole, why another Terminator movie? Why another Tron movie? Why can't they make something new? Why can't they explore new ideas? Uh, to which I, I, I sympathize. I say, yeah, you know, why can't they? But here's the thing. They do, all right? There are a lot of movies out there that aren't called Tron, that aren't called Terminator. There are a lot of movies out there that play in the uh, theater 13, 14, and 15 of your multiplex that people just don't go to see. Why? Because even though there might be just as much marketing for it as, let's say, a Logan movie, it doesn't have the same brand recognition. And people are like, and they're like, well, I'm not going to spend 12 bucks 
on a movie to see a movie that I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not really guaranteed it's going to be a good movie or I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. At least for something like a Tron or whatever, I, I, I know it. I'm kind of familiar with it. I'm willing to spend the mo- money on it. And then you might say later on, but well, then this movie will make money on, on DVD or video. But that's not the, that's not the motivation that a, a studio needs to make this film and release it at a multiplex. Yeah. Well, yeah, to your point, you know, uh, Ex Machina was, you know, considered to be a pretty good uh, movie. And, you know, I I think there was a very specific audience that really liked that and thought it was a great movie. But it's not like that had any sort of, you know, widespread success. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah, it was a good movie. People have heard. Well, not everyone's heard about it. In fact, a lot of people didn't even hear about it until Oscar Isaac was cast in um, The Force Awakens. Yeah, and everybody was like, who's this guy? Oh, he's in that movie? Oh, yeah, I never saw that. Oh, Uh, it's that guy from the meme when they're dancing. (laughs) (laughs) It's the guy from the animated GIF. I know that guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've seen that guy. And, you know, and now uh, it's funny because now I saw um, John Boyega's in The Circle, right? The new... new, um, Oh, yeah, that's the the Emma Watson, Tom Hanks... uh, uh, sort of Microsoft, Apple sort of uh, CEO goes nuts. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, but it's like Emma Watson's working in a place that's kind of like Google yeah, and Apple combined. And then and Tom Hanks is the Steve Jobs of the place. And yeah, and it's like, and, and, and you're basically living in a, in a police state because everyone's monitoring everybody kind of of their own free will. Uh, yeah, but, but you know, we're, we're, just, we're just being a tight-knit group. You know, we yeah. just... We just want to. Yeah. We just want to know what's what's going on. That's why we're watching you all the time because we're family and here. It, right? Don't you don't you enjoy it that way? But then John Boyega's in it, and you're like, oh wait, it's that guy from The Force Awakens. Well, and then before that, it was like, oh wait, isn't wasn't he was on Attack of the Block? But who saw Attack of the Block? I, I I don't think all that many people did. Although although I right. you know I I liked it, and I think I I don't think I've seen a person who or I've met a talked to a person who saw Attack of the Block that didn't like it. Right. Although my problem is, I always confuse the Attack of the Block with um, uh, there was another movie that had Attack in the title. And it, but uh, the the idea of Attack, attack the, the Clones. Always, yeah, Attack of the Clones. I always confuse it with the with the uh, Simon Pegg movies. You know, and then uh, with the, all, the all those Simon British Pegg people movie. look the same to you, don't they? Pretty much. And then the IT crowd. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You had all these, it's like all these nerdy kind of nerdy, geeky comedy shows and so on and movies. They were always like the same guys, you know, kind of in there. And they're, they're popping up in, you know, in American films. Again, oh, the, you know, that, that's no different than, you know, they're just the British version of uh, Seth Rogen and uh, Danny McBride and, and those guys. You know, they just pop up in all. They, literally, the people in, in, in Great Britain are probably like, oh, those guys are in every movie. Yeah, really. Danny McBride. In the new Alien movie too, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's down and down, going to space. <laughs> da- Danny McBride and uh, and uh, 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 Franco too, and uh, so so I I had heard something that that Franco just has a uh, a cameo in this movie. So as soon as I heard that, I figured that uh, they're going Planet of the Apes on this one, where everybody goes to sleep, and when they wake up, there's that one person who's dead right away because their capsule, you know, malfunctioned or something. But, I can only hope. <laughs> yeah. 
because I, I don't think anybody's going, oh, man, oh, man I, I can't wait to see his performance in the new Alien movie. I, I, mean, I see him, I'm like, oh, this is really... T-. I mean, Billy Crudup was kind of pushing it for me, you know, but the, but Danny McBride, I'm like, oh, boy. Well, you know, if I can handle Yafet Koto in the first... Uh, that was a great name. I mean, when you think about it, in all the names of, of, of movie people in, in, in films... The two greatest names are Yafet Koto and Powers Booth. Those are the two best names. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get much better than that. Powers Booth, he hasn't been in a whole lot lately. Although, I'd pay Powers Booth to just walk around and follow me and narrate my life for a day. I think that would be great. He's got the pipes for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of resurrecting things that maybe shouldn't be, uh, Adam Nimoy was being interviewed, uh, and, and he was asked what he'd think of them digitally recreating uh, his dad the same way that they did with Peter Cushing in, uh, in Rogue One. And he said he really likes the idea. And, uh, you know, since Star Trek Discovery is coming out, um, you know, you could see that coming up because at some point, you know, Spock did have a life before he got on the Enterprise, especially because this series is supposed to take place in the original universe, not in the J.J. Abrams universe. So, you know, you could see them working in a, a, a spot cameo of some kind. And, you know, it got me thinking, you know, at this point, if you sign on for a character and it ends up having any success whatsoever, like the movie has any success, you're signing on to be that character, not just for life, but literally forever because now they can just use it and you know it's sort of like when when disney started using celebrities as voice actors and put it put a lot of actual voice actors out of work it's sort of the same thing where you know now you know they they cast like a young spock it would have been the opportunity for some guy to you know actually take on that role but now you're you're actually using the actual spock instead and I don't know if I like how this, you know, I, I hate to sound old and, uh, you know, grumpy, but I don't know if I like the way this is going. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, I, it makes me harken back to two key moments in, um, in media. One, after the making of Forrest Gump, when Robert Zemeckis sat before Congress and said, we've got this technology right now, where we can pretty much alter history, you know, you can take old archival footage of things that happened, actual, actually happened in the past, and change it so it reflects something else. And he was pretty much telling Congress, you know, I know I did this with my movie, but you need to make sure that people don't do this anymore, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> well, and obviously they listened to them because, you know, uh, nobody's done that since. Oh no! Nobody, nobody had, uh, makes up history or facts or anything. Yeah. <laughs> then, see, Robert Zemeckis. See, Robert Zemeckis. He predicted fake news. Yep. Yeah. And then you had, of course, everyone knows the um, the the uh, Gene Kelly singing in the rain, dancing with the um, was the vacuum cleaner, right? I think it was Fred Astaire who danced with the vacuum. Fred Astaire. Cleaner. I'm sorry. Yeah, Fred Astaire with the vacuum cleaner. And um, that raising a lot, you know, yes, it was approved by Fred Astaire's estate. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm taking that back. Was it approved? Or there was something, a legal issue with that, that it had to be clear with Fred Astaire's estate. But then people were going, hold on a second. How can you do this? How can you bring back 
um, you know, uh, an actor old footage from that time and remake it to uh, promote a product. So yeah, because it's one thing if, if you're like, say, you know, look at the Peter Cushing example. Okay, that's a character, um, you know. So you're not like explicitly making money on his performance, you know. Just, uh, you know, specifically, it's 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 a part of the story. Um, and since you know they were using his likeness, and it's just reusing footage to, you know, continue continue on the same story that, that they were already telling okay that that makes sense from uh, from a standpoint i think you know you'd still want to clear it with the estate but it, it makes a little bit more sense when you're talking about the fred astaire thing that's just it, it's nothing but making money off of the you know this guy's uh, image so you know there, there's arguments to be made for and against both but i, I think that uh, you know doing it in a movie i i would feel less skeezy about that Right. See, to me, I mean, but you bring up a good point. I mean, does this mean now if I'm an actor in a role, <clears throat> I have to make sure that I have an estate that can look after my image and the way my image and performances are used in the future now? You know, what if I'm just some poor guy who who did a, you know, like, you know, I did a, a cameo in something? Or what if I'm just someone who, you know, maybe I, I did very well for myself on a film, but then my estate went bankrupt before I died, and and they had to sell off all my assets. Does the does the, do the rights to my image can those be sold off so that some company can use it to sell you know anything? Yeah, some company or like like I know there's uh, there's actually a guy who went out and bought the rights to pretty much every uh, old time radio drama in existence, like at a time when uh, you know when they were available, the rights to it were available for a very low price, uh, you know, cause people weren't thinking about, you know, any sort of nostalgic value that there would actually be a, a market like, like now, you know, there, there are people who download those like, like podcasts. So there actually is a market for that sort of thing. And so this guy who literally had nothing to do with creating that original product, he just bought it because it was there and, you know, it, he was able to get it for a cheap price, and now everybody who wants to use that stuff actually has to go to this guy. Wow! And, and so, imagine if, if, if you know, like the scenario you laid out, where you know the a guy, uh, an actor's estate isn't really taken care of that well, so some random guy just, you know, uh, just ends up purchasing the rights, you know, for that for that actor's image, and and that's. That's totally conceivable that that could happen. Right, it's uh, that reminds. <laughs> it's like the time when Michael Jackson bought the rights to all the Beatles songs. Right exactly. Yeah. Nose, yeah. You know, and you're, you're there. You go. Now we're talking about. Um, now, yeah. Now we're talking about not just the rights to a person's words. You know, the the maybe it's a sheet of music that they wrote, but. Really, I mean, when you think about it, it's almost their artistic soul, you know, that you can take that person's performances and their image and everything that people thought about them and then kind of just, like, use it for your own purpose, which, you know, the more and more I think about it, the, the more troubling it sounds. Yeah, it's all fun and games when you're just resurrecting Grand Moff Tarkin, but then, uh, you know, it, you, you know, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope and the, and the, the yellow brick road that takes us down, it's, 
it's probably not going to be good because if somebody can abuse that, they probably will. They will. Yeah. It's like uh, insert insert a uh, 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 dialogue snippet of Jeff Goldblum saying, you know, they thought it. You didn't. You know, your your scientists were so preoccupied as to whether or not they could do it, they didn't stop and think of if they should. They should. Yeah. So that, that does raise a lot of, I think, ethical questions, a lot of ethical questions. And I don't know, you know, that that is something I would love to ask, like, um, like a judge or, or a copyright lawyer or someone about those sorts of things. That could be the argument for the, the 21st century. Who owns you? Yeah, and... Uh... You know, it, it it figures to be a very divisive divisive topic as we're we're moving forward uh, in the future here. And you know who else is uh, tackling a divisive topic is uh, Rick and Dave on Minutia Men. They're uh, they're they're talking this week about uh, um, pizza toppings around the world. It's really practically the same thing, Elliot. When you think about it. Okay, here's the thing. Um, of course, the great argument that's sweeping the internet right now about pizza is pineapple. Can you put pineapple on a pizza? And it's that I'm telling you, I'm seeing divorces taking place. Marriages are being rent asunder. Yeah, pineapple on pizza is the new. What color is this dress? <laughs> and and don't I do not want an anchovy anywhere near my pizza. Sorry, no. And uh, yeah, I. It's uh, you know it's 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 interesting because um, uh, you know, just what people will fight about on the on the internet these days. You know, uh, <laughs> it's it's one thing for you know people to be uh, dissecting the latest Trump tweet, but but literally they will fight over anything on on the internet, and that that's frankly what's most troubling because uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it ever ends. Well, isn't that what the internet is for? The internet that's, is for us to fight. To uh, to uh, to uh, interact, to engage, sometimes yell. You know, like I, I, I'm look, I'm waiting for an all yelling podcast on the uh, you know Radio Misfits podcast network. Because if you're going to listen to an all yelling podcast, you know how you listen to it, right? Uh, with headphones from Tweaked Audio. Tweaked Audio with key features like eight colors and styles. With mic'd and non-mic'd versions, they're designed to sound great for music and talk and yelling. They have noise-reducing design. You want to make sure all you're hearing is the combative nature of the two podcast hosts, one in one ear and one in the other. Your headphones and accessories will come with a lifetime warranty. So if you go to tweakedaudio.com and use the discount code GCG at checkout, you'll get 33% off and free worldwide shipping. Make sure that you enter GCG. The code is not case sensitive. Tell them that Geek Counter Geek sent you. And uh, you did forget one important thing uh, when we were, you know, discussing the other members of the the uh, Radio Misfits uh, podcast network, Potter and Family. Wait for it. <sighs> the ditching bitches. I'm gonna tell you. Um, I've 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 had a standing date with uh, Stephanie Bashar of Dishing Bitches uh, for quite some time now, and um, okay, am I wrong? But 
do women really wash their hair that frequently? Because she keeps saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to wash my hair tonight. Uh, well, I, I know, uh, you know, geez, I, I take a shower every day. Uh, there's generally some hair washing in there. So, so yeah, I would, I would assume that seems 100% legit to me. All right. Okay. Then I guess, boy, she must have really clean hair. I'm looking forward to seeing how hair that clean, how clean that hair is when I finally see her. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd hold my breath for that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so last week we were talking about the, uh, the big news from SpaceX that uh, they have two paying customers now, uh, two apparently really, really rich people. Uh, who want to buy a trip uh, from the Earth to the Moon, uh, you know, Jules Verne style. And um, it, it, it brings up an interesting question, because um, the, the spacecraft that they're going to be using, the Dragon version 2, is, is, uh, it's, it's one that can either be piloted uh, by a person or can just be flown automatically. And since these are just two uh, two rich people, and they haven't said who they are yet, but um, um, you know, two two people who have a hundred million dollars each to to just blow on a flight to the moon, where literally you spend two and a half days flying to the moon, a couple hours flying around the backside, and then two and a half days coming back, and that's it. It's it's like if. My friend Manny, who lives in Miami, decided that one day he was going to drive all the way to Seattle, drive past the Space Needle, take a picture of it on the way, and then come back and go home, and that's it. That, that, that's literally what these people are going to be doing, and they're going to be spending $100 million to do it. Which, uh, you know, I, I realize it is the moon, it is a historic opportunity, but that's uh, it's not exactly the most efficient use of your money. I mean, we're space nerds, so we remember that. But who's going to remember the first people, the first commercial flight to orbit the moon, the first passengers? You know, we'll remember SpaceX. We'll remember the company. Right, because cause get... SpaceX is going to send up people before this happens. Uh, you know, because they've already said that NASA, you know, that the, the, the first crewed flight that they have for NASA is going to take priority so that will fly before this one. So that will be like the Charles Lindbergh, the first commercial flight into space. Um, so, you know, the really historic thing. So, yeah, it's not like you're, you're going to be in the history books. Yeah, so you almost have to find someone who's like got a memorable name to it. Again, uh, if you said, send Richard Branson, I mean, I'm just cool. You know, I can see that. People remember him. But who else? I mean, you know, well, unless it's yeah, even though even, you know, yeah, even though uh, Elon Musk had said in the conference call that it's not anybody, um, you know, quote unquote, a Hollywood type. Uh, a lot of people are still holding out hope for James Cameron, which would be really cool. Ah, oh, see, I'd be all over that. I, I would actually say if I were if I were those two people, uh, I would do whatever I could to make him come along. Uh, he's he's going to be the third because that. That would be that would get some attention. Yeah, and then he'll bring his IMAX camera and he'll make a movie and he'll talk. He'll tell you how you're doing everything wrong and it has to be done his way. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, wouldn't that be a fun uh, a fun six day flight with James Cameron telling you you're doing everything wrong? <laughs> That's probably what actually did kill Bill Paxton. Oh, you, you had to go down the dark road. 
So, you know, it's uh, it it does bring up an interesting question, though, because even though it's automatic, you know, the, these guys probably aren't going to be flying their own uh, their own spacecraft to and from the moon. Uh, there is a possibility that something could go wrong. And uh, I will say that that, uh, you know, the flight these guys will be taking guys and or gals, uh, it will fly around the moon and come back and hit the Earth. So it's not like they're going to be out in space forever. Even if they die on the way, they're going to be coming back to Earth. But, uh, you know, if something actually did happen, would we be under any obligation to help them, or are they just on their own? Hmm. You know, if I'm a billionaire, okay, first, if I've got $100 million to blow on a round-trip ticket to the moon... You would think I'm going to have a little extra in the kitty there for, like, my rescue mission or whatever it might be. I mean, it's all – come on. This is capitalism at its best. You can do one of two things. Either put that money aside to make sure you make it back if they know to come after you. Or you do like that one town did where they just – the firefighters just watched the guy's house burn down, you know, because he wasn't paying his taxes for the fire. And they say, hey, look, you didn't pay, you didn't pay for the rescue. So, you know, there you go. You're just going to sit and watch. And I think, to a certain extent, you know, it w- won't it be a little like a NASCAR race where people will be, you, you know, it, it, if somebody's got $100 million to, to just blow like that, um, even though, you know, spaceflight is a worthwhile thing, you know, this mission, you're just blowing $100 million because you can. Or isn't a party going to be ro- rooting for something to happen? <laughs> oh, he made it back! Oh, it's like well, that was anticlimactic. Did you at least come back with something? You know, did you bring back a moon rock? What? You didn't even land? What? Yeah, yeah. It, I, it, to me, though, it, that's you know what? There you go. That brings up yet another ethical question, right? If you're going to engage in this sort of um, in, in this sort of um, commerce, you know. Where is the obligation? What is the obligation for society? Now, do we all of a sudden have to think, well, we can't just leave those guys up there orbiting around the moon to die? You know? Well, I think from, uh, from SpaceX's point of view, there's definitely, a, uh, there's definitely an incentive for them to make sure that this thing goes off without a hitch. Because if it doesn't, they won't have any more customers. Yeah, and, and those ships aren't cheap, you know. It's like, hey, we need that thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but uh, you, that's true. But that, again, but now we're talking about uh, you know, the, the, the ethics of it, right? You know, um, it, what if we, you know, you put it to a vote, okay? These millionaires got themselves stuck up there, and there was there's really no other way of getting them back unless, let's say, the government does something to intercede. Now it's going to cost taxpayers that uh, you know money to bring these guys back so what would people think you know is that even i mean i'm wondering if the spacex folks have already kind of considered that question you know if they've already thought okay you know there is a bit of a a, a conundrum here if something goes wrong how far do we go to to get them back or to fix it or to do whatever you know who does it fall on um I mean, how much did it cost them to bring back the uh, the Apollo 13 guys? Well, the Apollo 13 guys, it it really wouldn't have cost them much more than, uh, um, you know, actually landing on the moon. 
because you know at most they had to pay a bunch of people overtime um but but that was it it's it's not like they sent anybody out to get them uh you know so they didn't launch another mission they they ran they ran simulators they they paid a tiger team of uh, of engineers to put together a filter so that they could continue to breathe but those people were already at work anyway so it probably actually didn't cost them all that much now the the example you could go to is uh, Mark Watney in The Martian, both the book and the movie, because they actually do, they launch, you know, first they put together and launch a mission to send them supplies in like six months. Uh, that would cost a ton of money. That blows up. So they have to put together another mission of supplies. Uh, you know, they launch that and, and you know, it ends up being the, the, the crew that, that intercepts the supplies and takes them to Mars to get get Watney back so that's a lot of money and that's one guy on Mars and you know one thing that that's not necessarily realistic about about the Martian is would people actually be into that you know would they would they actually spend billions upon billions of dollars to save one guy or would they be like well you know if he can stretch out his supplies you know we're 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 happy to Happy, happy to get him when the when the next crew gets out to Mars. You know, maybe we'll speed him up a bit. But you know, other than that, it's one guy on Mars. Well, it depends. It, it it all comes down to who's making the decision. I mean, I'm guessing if Bernie Sanders says we need to get him back, that's yay socialism. Paul Ryan's going to go. Hey, wait a minute. I I don't think the socialist is going to say let's rescue the one guy. Come on, hey. Elliot. It's 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 the it's the it's the obligation of government for the people. I don't know. I, I, again, back to again, we're talking about the again the ethics of it. I mean, where do we draw the line for these things? So, you know, those are man. Well, then my, here's my next question. After that, let's say those guys die while they're up there, right? Mm-hmm. Who owns their images for the next commercials? The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.